hope you can see enough of me to know that I'm back here. Yet if you missed the announcement, I'm having some muscle spasms that are making it difficult for me to stand very long. But we've come to uh, open our hearts and minds to God's Word. We're continuing in the Gospel of John, and we're in in chapter 11, uh, specifically verses 28 through 44. If you remember, the Lord was uh, received messengers. He he'd, he'd healed the blind man, and that led to conflict. Eventually, uh, he left the area of, of Judah, of, of Israel, crossed this Jordan River into Perea. And there he was ministering back where John began the whole thing with his baptism ministry. And as he was there, messengers came saying, uh, from Martha and Mary, saying, The one you love, Lazarus, is ill. Please come. Our Lord delayed intentionally for God's glory. Now, actually, by the time the messengers arrived, Lazarus had already died. It was a good 10, 12-hour journey to get there. But our Lord delayed, and, we, and he came, and we saw his, uh, finally, when he returned, we saw his encounter with uh, Martha as she met him. And I'll mention tonight in our, kind of our discussion time that follows of the sermon, tonight uh, I'll be showing some videos of Bethany. And uh, one of the things that we'll see in there is a tomb that is uh, said to be the very tomb in which Lazarus was buried. Um, I didn't see anything on the walls that says, uh, you know, like Lazarus was here. Uh, but we'll, we'll look at that tonight. You'll get a feel for uh, something of the area in which that, that was. But we're going to come back to We're going to look at the text and pick up where we left off after the encounter with Martha. Uh, we see starting at verse 38 or 28 uh, through verse 44. I encourage you to follow along in your Bible as I read. When she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she rose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man have opened his eye, the eyes of the blind? Could, excuse me, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. 
And I know that you always hear me. Because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who died came out, bound hand and foot, and with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. We see in this passage the arrival of Jesus has already happened. And Jesus met with Martha and talked with her. And then Martha, sent by the Lord, you know, some of those things are not spelled out directly in that, in that time with Martha. But from what she says, uh, Jesus said, no, go tell Mary and tell, tell her to come here. Verse 28, when she, Martha, had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. Now the secretly is, um, again, just to remind you, in a time of death like this, it was common to stay there. The, the death would come and burial uh, usually the very same day. Remember, they, they had none of the bombing practices, say, of the Egyptians or modern day. Burial would happen that same day. Perhaps the next day if needed, but, but it would happen right away. And then there would be a gathering of mourners that would typically, you know, they would come and visit. The, the family would stay there in the home and uh, mourn and, and grieve. And visitors would come and uh, sit with them. And that would be their way of honoring them. And so we were told that the, the Jews had come from Jerusalem. Now, of course, everybody, uh, you know, the majority of people here, you're a Jew or Gentile, but when John uses that expression, the Jews, he's especially referring to the prominent and Jewish leaders there in Jerusalem. But Bethany is less than two miles away. And as I mentioned last time, the evidence points to the fact that uh, Mary, Martha, Lazarus were of a family of, of some means. They, maybe not wealthy, but prominent. The tomb that Lazarus is in is the tomb of, of, of not a common laborer, but of someone with you know, some money. The myrrh that she would later put on Jesus' feet is, was expensive. That was a year's wages. So they were a prominent family, and that's why maybe the Jewish leaders came. But it would have been something of a crowded scene. Perhaps you've experienced something like that, maybe on a visiting a, a funeral home or something, and, and realized there's a, a, a crowd that is gathered. And so Jesus wanted to talk to Mary, not in that crowded environment, but uh, said, go call her. So Martha quietly says to her, come and go. As soon as, verse 29, as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. So he's still outside again. Jesus was known throughout Israel. And Jesus was known in this region in particular. Had he come into town, there would have been you know, quite a stir. He's He's looking for a more personal ministry. Um, and, you know, if, if you think about to, in our day, we think of maybe celebrities. And the tragedy is they, they can't go to the grocery store. They can't, you know, without, you know, maybe being in disguise or something. It's a very difficult thing. If Jesus wanted a private conversation or more private conversation with Mary and Martha, better to stay out, outside of the little village and she were to come to him. And so she went quickly to the beloved teacher, rabbi, Lord. 
Verse 31 says, Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She's going to the tomb to weep there. And basically at this time of mourning, that's the only reason you would go somewhere. You wouldn't go to the grocery store. Uh, you would, they would stay there. And so the fact that she got up, they thought, she's going to the grave. We'll go with her. And so even though it's quietly done, we see a little bit of an entourage heading outside the village. But that, in doing so, John helps us understand um, that what Jesus the encounter that will happen will turn out to be a very public encounter. There'll be lots of witnesses, and among them, again, Bethany, a small village, but with many of the prominent leaders of of Jerusalem there uh, will will have have front row seats to what is about to happen. Verse 32, then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Now Mary says the same thing that Martha did. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. The fact that they use the very same words, I wonder how often they said that to each other. You know, I can see them standing at the, at the bedside as he has died. If Jesus had been here, this would not have happened. At the funeral and at the burial, if, this, if Jesus had been here, he would have lived. That's not a criticism of Jesus. I see it more as, what a shame. Some people might say, tough luck that Jesus wasn't here. Because we've said, and as you go through the Gospels, where Jesus went, disease disappeared. Uh, he, he, he healed everybody in sight. And so they're saying, oh, if only Jesus had been here. And I wonder if they even blamed themselves. We waited too long to send the messengers. Because they knew. I mean, it's a 10, 12-hour journey. Uh, and apparently Lazarus died while they were in transit. And so they're thinking, you know, I wonder if they were thinking of watching the time and thinking, oh, the messengers haven't even reached him yet, and already Lazarus is gone. Any way it is, they must have, you know, and this may have come on very quickly, but they may have said, oh, if only, if only we had, if only Jesus had, had stayed in Jerusalem area, we could have reached him. If only, if only we had realized that this was so serious and we'd sent for Jesus. But really what they're saying is, Lord, we know if you'd been here, it'd have been okay. That's really a way of saying, we still believe in you, Lord. We believe in your power. What a shame you weren't here. Now, those are the same words that Martha used. But notice there's a difference. We're told when Mary saw him, she fell down at his feet. That's an expression of love and honor. And worship. One of the commentators I appreciate is James Montgomery Boyce. And and he says this. Every time we see Mary in the Gospels, she's at the feet of Jesus. In Luke, she's at his feet learning from him. Remember Martha and Mary? That's one of those famous, uh, I don't want to say family squabbles. 
But one of those sibling issues where Martha comes to Jesus and, and Martha apparently is older and feels responsible for the hospitality and, and ordering of the house while Jesus is there. And she's busily working away and, and Mary is just sitting at Jesus' feet listening. And so Martha makes the mistake that sometimes we make. She comes to Jesus and gives him some advice. Why don't you tell Mary to get up and help me? <laughs> and Jesus says, you know, Mary's really doing what's most important. But, but where do we find Mary first? Should we find her at the feet of Jesus? The teacher, remember, is what Martha called him. Uh, she, oh, they'd heard rabbis all their lives, but oh, Jesus taught. Um, you know, the... the uh, the, the French fries were cooking, and, the, and they can wait. I want to hear Jesus. So the first time we see, she was at his feet learning. And here we see it, her at his feet worshiping him. She's not blaming him. She's honoring him. She, this is a posture of worship as she falls at his feet. And again, one of the evidences, did Jesus claim to be God? He receives the worship. Where the angel in Revelation, when John does that, says, stop that. <laughs> Reading between the lines, you're going to get us both in trouble. <laughs> I'm just a fellow servant. You worship the Lord. But Jesus doesn't say, oh, no, no, Mary. He receives her worship. And then the next time we see her, we see, we see her um, serving at his feet. And she pours the anointing oil over him. That will come up in chapter 12. But our three, our three views of Mary. She find, we find her at the feet of Jesus. The next section now is as they go to the tomb is verses 33 to 38. In verse 33 we see, Therefore when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Jesus looked at the scene, his beloved Mary, tears pouring down. And, and the word here for, for, for weeping, it, it has the idea of a loud, often it's a loud weeping. In some places it can be translated wailing. And so she was not, she was sobbing loudly. Um, I may show tonight a, 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 some clips of, uh, in, in some cultures, uh, you can hire professional mourners. You know, you, you want the, 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 the funeral to look uh, right. And so people, you, you know, we want people weeping. And, and sometimes we wonder, will there be enough people really weeping? And there are those that are professional mourners. That's what they do. They, 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 wail, they wail and they cry. And I'm not saying any of they'd hired mourners, but in other words, that the Jews in comforting her would have been wailing as she's heading out to the, they thought, the funeral. And Jesus looks on all that, and, and some of them may have been wailing out of social purposes. But not Mary. Mary was sobbing out of genuine grief and, and just sobbing out of joy to see Jesus. We're told he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. I know that might be translated in different ways in, the, uh, in your text. It's only used a, less than, a half dozen or less times in the New Testament, this word for groan. And, and usually it's in a context of kind of an anger. 
In, in secular Greek texts, we find it in the snorting of a horse. So what it suggests is a deep, um, you know, a, 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 an expression deep from within. Now it says he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. So and I'm not saying he even voiced that, but, but the sense is he was deeply moved. Deeply moved to see the sorrow of his beloved Mary and Martha and to, and to see the grief that is, that is throughout this village, if you will. But I don't, I don't see anger here. Some will say, well, this is his, he was, he was angry and stirred up over the, the, the hypocrites that were there. You know, the, the ones who were putting on a show and they didn't really meet it because he would know their hearts. I, but I don't think so. I think the, the whole scene is one that just touches his heart deeply. As he sees this, it's just a, a moving experience. Deeply murd, moved and we're told and stirred up. Now, some reminders. Who is Jesus? He is, he is God in the flesh. He's truly and fully human. And so he has emotions and, and weaknesses and strengths. Weaknesses, I mean, in terms of not sinful weaknesses, but he can get tired. He can get, he can get weary. He can get thirsty and hungry. But, he, but, but in his divine side, he is perfect. And Jesus, of course, is sinless. In his divine side, he is infinite and eternal. He is the almighty creator God. And yet, passages like this remind us he has a deep affection for his children. He's, he cares deeply for our, our, our sorrows and our tears. That's a struggle for us because, you know, Mary could see Jesus. We can't. Reminds me of the little baby one time that was feeling sick and worried and called out to the parents, I can't sleep, please come and be with me. And the parent used the, uh, one of our things we use. That's all right, the Lord is with you. I know, but I need someone with skin on. <laughs> okay, I'll be in. Sometimes we, we need, we, we can't see Jesus' heart. You know, in, with, our, with our visible eyes. But this is, the Lord gives us this passage to see his heart. And he cares for our tears. And I want to just read some, some portions of, of, of several scriptures that, that speak that throughout the scriptures. But Isaiah in chapter 38, 5 to 6, remember when Hezekiah was, um, he, he learned that he was going to die. And he wept and prayed before the Lord. And, and the prophet is told, Go and tell Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. In Psalm 6, 8, Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. We may be surrounded by those who are antagonists and delight to see us suffering, that David experienced that, but the Lord sees, he hears. In Psalm 9, verse 12, we're told, He avenges blood, he remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the humble. Psalm 34, 15, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. You number my wanderings, Psalm 56, 8 says, 
Put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? Sometimes as an expression of mourning in the ancient world, as they wept, they would actually capture the the tears in a little bottle and then close it up. And that would always be a reminder of the time of mourning when that loved one was lost. And so Jesus is, or the, the psalmist is saying, put my tears in your bottle. Write them in your book. Lord, take, take notice, Lord. Remember. And the point is, Jesus sees this mourning. And it moves him deeply. In our times of sorrow, in our times of fear, in our times of grief, the Lord knows our heart. And he cares deeply. And sometimes when we may feel that maybe no one understands and no one knows, he does. He knows. He cares. He takes note. He he writes it in his book. And verses 34 and 35, Jesus said, so there's been this emotional experience they've gathered. He's, um, he's seen, he's been moved. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And I don't know if that's Mary and Martha and maybe some of the others as well, but Mary and Martha said, Lord, come and see. Now some have noted, Jesus knew where he was buried as the omniscient one. But, but remember, when we often say when God asks a question, it's not because he needs information. I think one of the things the Lord again and again is doing here is nothing about this is staged. Like they don't go to the tomb and find Jesus there setting things up. It's, it's, it's very spontaneous, if you will. And so where is, he, where is he buried? Come, we will show you. Come and see. And then those two verses, those two words in chapter 11, verse 35, the shortest verse in the scriptures. In the English, three words in the, um, or two words in the English, three words in the Greek, Jesus wept. This word for weep is different from the weeping of the others. There was, that was the, a word that had the idea of of a loud expression, maybe loud wailing, but, but, but outward vocal sobbing. This has the idea of an emphasis on, uh, some have translated, he burst in tears. He, he started shedding tears of sorrow. So instead of that loud outward expression, it was a much more quiet, but it's still genuine. The Lord not only knows and cares for our grief and sorrows, He shares them. You know, God's word commands us, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And Jesus is showing us that. Weeping, maybe for for Lazarus in his death, but, but certainly for these, the loved ones of Lazarus. Jesus wept. Now, his, 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 sometimes people weep out of a sense of hopelessness. 
Perhaps you've been at a funeral service where the people don't know the Lord and, and have no religious hope. And there's a terrible emptiness. And sometimes there'll be just an incredible expression of, of wailing and weeping because there, there is no hope. Now, Mary and Martha, you know, Martha said, yes, Lord, he will rise in the resurrection. Now, she's not dismissing that, but that's so far away. And right now, I really miss him and I'm hurting. But Jesus knows he's about to raise him up and still he weeps with, with the sorrow. And so that's why I think it's not, well, it may be over Lazarus. Some have said, poor Lazarus, he has to come back to this. But, but we see the genuineness that a grief that is not hopeless grief. We're only told that I could find, and, and, and I'll, you know, maybe tonight you can come with a different answer for me. You know, get on your devices today. And, and if, but I, I can only see two places where Jesus wept. Here at the tomb of Lazarus. And the other time is uh, Palm Sunday. The triumphal entry, it's often called. But remember, as Jesus is coming down the Mount of Olives, he stops and he looks out over the city of Jerusalem and he weeps. There it is, the loud weep. He weeps over unrepentant Jerusalem. How I would have gathered you to myself, but you would not. You would not. You refused my gathering. And so as he looks out over Jerusalem, he not only sees their hardened unbelief. In his mind's eye, he can see the Roman armies that will be surrounding and destroying Jerusalem in some 40 years from that time. And he wails over the cost of sin and rebellion and, its, and, the, and the suffering that will come. But the only two times he cries. Both. Uh, well... When I say the only two times, the only two times recorded. Now, some might say, well, what about when he was a baby? Well, we know from this, the carol, right? No, no, no crying he makes. So he must not have cried. Well, of course, I think that's wrong. But the only recorded incidents are right as, as the cross is so close. But in his weeping, um, I think we can learn some important lessons. It's not sinful or weak or unbelieving to weep and mourn. You know, some feel like, well, you know, they, some will apologize because they cry over the death of a loved one that they know is with the Lord. If Jesus can weep at the grave of believing Lazarus who's about to come back to life, then we can weep at the grave of a saint who is, who will come, who is with the Lord and, and will be raised in the, in the last day. Weeping is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of humanity and of compassion. And so I, these two words to me speak of the Lord's compassion, speak of the Lord's heart, and that he understands. He welcomes the tears. If the Lord can weep at death, so can we. You've heard the story, I think I've even told it, of the little boy whose neighbor, older gentleman, his, his wife, the, the, the gentleman's wife had died. And one day the little boy went out the, shortly after he went out the door and 
and, his, and came back later, and his mother said, where have you been? Well, I went to see old Mr. Jones. And she's thinking, uh-oh, what were you doing? Don't you understand? He's grieving. Oh, yes, I know. And he was crying. And so what did you do? I sat in his lap, and I helped him cry. And sometimes that's the most comforting thing we can do is, is just be there. And maybe we shed tears of grief as well. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. This, so I, I say that importantly because this is a part of our human experience thanks to Adam and Eve, thanks to the fall. And so grief is not a wrong thing. It's, it's a good thing. And so don't fear the tears. Well, in verse 38, then Jesus again groaning in himself. He's, he, our, our Lord is so moved by these things. He's a, he's a God of compassion. He came to, he came to the, the tomb, and it was a cave, and a stone laid against it. And again, the, the poor people would be buried into the earth, but the wealthier ones, had a, they would have a family tomb that was meant for generations of use. And you would be laid out, and after a while they would come in and they would um, gather the bones that were left and, and store them in a special kind of container. And uh, that shelf, there would be several shelves, uh, f- would be used by someone else. And so it, this, that was a sign of wealth. They were a prominent family, a wealthy family. And, and so it was, it was dug into the hill and a rock sent against it. And now, now it could be as Jesus' tomb, we often think of with the you know, more vertical with the tomb rolled up against it uh, sometimes it was dug it was be dug down and the the tomb of Lazarus that I'll show you tonight in that tradition and archaeology points to um, there's an opening that then goes downstairs into the uh, a cave like place but but notice just the little details that tell us this is an eyewitness account of a real event it was a cave, and a stone lay against it. In verses 36 and 37, Then the Jews said, See how I loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? The Jews said is how it began, remember? So again, these were these, the, lead, the, the leading Jews of Jerusalem. Maybe not all of them, but some among the leaders were there. Some notice Jesus weeping and say, oh, he really cared for him. And, that, and the term they use for love here is a term of affection. He, he really did care for him. They're noticing. And others take that as a, a criticism. Could not this man of open, who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? A couple things just to notice in that. They... They see the proof of, of tears, perhaps, as weakness of Jesus. And they say, well, if he could heal the blind man, they're referring, that was the last miracle we saw recorded in John. Remember the blind man? So that's the only one they talk about. There was right in their face in Jerusalem. They did their very best to disprove it. They brought in the man's um, parents. Is this your son? Yes. Was he born blind? Yes. Well, that didn't work. They were trying to think it was staged. Well, how did he come to be seen? They said, we don't know. Ask him. Because they were afraid. But in other words, that's the one miracle that was in their face and they couldn't, they couldn't refute. Well, wait a minute. If he could heal that blind man, why couldn't he have helped Lazarus? 
And, and, and I'll just notice one other thing. They say, um, some of them said of him, he was, was he not able, the blind man, to, to open the eyes of the blind man? Couldn't he also have kept him from dying? But they don't refer to Jesus by name. They call him, and my English text says, uh, this man, but literally it's this one. The Jews so despised Jesus, they would not utter his name. And you will find that among Jews throughout history, and even today, uh, the more traditional Jews don't speak the name of Jesus because they view him as a, uh, a blasphemer and, and his name not even to be spoken. So you see that, couldn't this one have, have kept him from dying? So right there in the crowd um, are differing reactions. And we'll see that the next time when we come back to this text. But, but here they see this Jesus and some of them right there are furious that he's there and hateful and despising him. And seeing this as a, one of his failings, oh, some friend couldn't even be there when he was sick. Well, in verse 39, Jesus then says, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. So now we're at the tomb, at the tomb, and Jesus commands them, open the tomb by moving off that door. Martha, you know, ever practical Martha, once again has a suggestion for Jesus. She's not saying no, but she comes and says, reminds him, Lord, he's been dead four days. You don't want to open that grave. It's going to smell. She has no idea what Jesus has in mind. You know, she, you know we've, read, we've read the account. We know the account. It's kind of, have you ever seen children when they know something exciting is about to happen, they can't barely control themselves? That's what we'd be like. like come on, here it comes. Come on. And we start, we mouth it with them. Lazarus, come forth. <laughs> but, but not Martha. She's thinking, what is Jesus doing? Is he, is he, since he couldn't be here, did he want one last visit with Lazarus and maybe to honor him? Like, oh, but Jesus, you don't want to do that. Not, it's too late for that. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, and I don't, did he put his hand on her shoulder? Does he want to say Martha, Martha again? Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Now, again, you could tra 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 trace through the passage and, and, and you don't see him directly saying that. Is that the message that was given to the messengers? Remember back in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 11? The sisters sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, and of course he knew by that time he was dead, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Or, or did he say in his, you know, we, we got a very brief recording of the conversation there at the, outside the village. But he was saying, didn't I tell you you would see the glory of God? That's why I'm here. That's what I'm doing. And she still doesn't get, well, how are you going to do that? They may not have known, but I suspect they heard from the various visits and the, way, the reports that were made Jesus on two other occasions, Jairus' daughter and then the 
You know, the, the funeral, he actually interrupted a funeral, but that was just dead and all the way to the grave. Twice he's raised the dead, but not four days afterwards. Verse 41, then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And I'll go ahead and say that I think she was probably proven to be right. That it was an unpleasant smell. One more proof. He wasn't in a coma. He wasn't unconscious. He's been buried for four days. He is dead. They took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. So he prayed out loud for for the benefit of those who are listening. So it's, um, in other words, he's making, and he even says, Father, I'm, I'm praying out loud. You know, we've already conversed about this. We already are on the same page. But just so everyone here will understand that. And so what he's saying is, I'm here by your authority. And in your name, I'm going to do this miracle. And so he's making it clear. This is no no magical trick. It's no demonic power. It is God's glory that is being done. That they may believe that you sent me. This will be the last of his seven miracles that John records. I'm not saying it's the last miracle he did. There may have been others in this time frame, but this will be the last recorded one, and this is the, the biggie. And I, when I say that, you know, he talks about these sign miracles, if you will. Actually, there's a bigger one that John records called the resurrection of Jesus. But, 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 but these outward miracles, this is, the, the, this is something of a finale. And may I say something in the face of the, of the national leadership. They're there, or their representatives are there. They're going to go back and say, we were there for the whole thing. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Now when he said this thing in his prayer, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! And I think that shows his power. He wanted everyone to hear. I don't think Lazarus needed it to be loud enough to, you know, to get into the tomb. But he cried out with a loud voice. Some have said, and, and have, that had he not said Lazarus, but just come forth, every grave would have emptied and the cemetery would have been emptied. I've seen that attributed to an old country preacher, and I've seen it uh, accredited to uh, uh, St. Augustine. Someone, not me, made that one up. <laughs> But you probably heard it from others. And I think it's, it shows the power of Christ. He could have emptied that. And, and the time is coming when at the voice of the Lord, every, every grave will open. Many have, uh, have looked at this passage and said, you know, this is a picture of salvation, isn't it? We were dead in our sin. And he were made alive in Christ. And think about that. Lazarus was dead. 
Did he hear the call of Jesus? In a sense, Jesus had to make him alive so that he could hear and respond. And that's true of, of salvation. The Lord has to make us able to respond so that we can respond. He's the one that opens the heart, opens the ears, gives us the ability, makes us alive to hear. A passage that comes to mind when I think about that is 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness at creation, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so Paul there is saying, um, when we're born again, it, it's like the miracle of creation. When God just spoke light into darkness. Because when we're, before we know Christ, we are dead and we are in darkness. And he speaks and there's light. And it's not that we figure something out and come running to him. Salvation's of the Lord. He speaks and there's life. In theology, sometimes we call that the effectual call. There's a general call where everybody's invited, but this is the, the call that uh, brings life. Verse 44, and he who died had come out. Uh, again and again, as I was reading through these verses, how often it said, she's the, she's the sister of the dead man. Again and again, we're, we're, John wants us to know, he was dead, you know. He was dead. And now he said, and he who had died came out. John does not record for us how many fainted on the spot. <laughs> but you could, wouldn't you love you know, to, to paint the scene of, 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 of that? But Lazarus was dead, and now he's walking out of the tomb. We're told, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. His face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Again, the grave clothes confirmed to us he was dead. He wasn't just lying in there. He was wrapped in the grave clothes. And you'll remember, we'll learn about when they buried Jesus. They would wrap them in the clothes. And, in, and as they wrapped, they would, they would put in lots of spices to help some with the fragrance issues. As they unwrapped him, you know, he must have shuffled his way out. As they unwrapped him, there was no question. This man had been dead and buried. Swindoll says this, the witnesses to the miracle had to help Lazarus out of the burial wrappings. John includes these details to clarify a crucial difference between Lazarus' experience and that of Jesus. Look at chapter 20, verses 5 to 7. What's the difference? Remember the grave clothes left behind. Jesus passed through the grave clothes. Rather than being resurrected, Lazarus was resuscitated. Rather, um, and his old body had been reanimated, but it was the same body that had fallen ill and stopped working. And so this is, not, it, the, the word used in the Greek is resurrection, but it's not resurrection in the sense that he was not given a glorified body. He was given a restored body, a revivified body, a reanimated body, a resuscitated body. We hear that sometimes now when someone will say, they, oh, I died, and then they, they brought out the paddles, and I was brought back to life. Well, this is not that, because no paddles would have worked on someone dead four days. 
It was a miraculous reanimation and a restoration of the same mortal body. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce says, the, the raising of Lazarus from the dead is the climactic miracle of John's gospel by any standard measure. It stands in the gospel alone, indicates this, for it is the last of seven miracles inserted just before the beginning of the final week of Jesus' earthly ministry. This is the longest chapter uh, or, or longest narr uh, miracle narrative uh, of any in the gospel of John. John wants us to see and savor the details. And so the question is, what happened to Lazarus when he was dead? Well, if he's dead, by definition, his soul left his body. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. He was in glory. Some suggested Jesus wept because poor Lazarus has to come back and do this again. Alexander White is a Scottish pastor of a previous generation. He wrote several Bible biographies or you know, books with several chapters of different ones. And on Lazarus, he said this, uh, one of the previous uh, writers of a previous generation, one of the, the early fathers, wrote, When our Lord was told of Lazarus' death, he was glad, but when he came to raise him to life, he wept. For though his disciples gained by it, though Martha and Mary gained by it, yet Lazarus himself lost it by being re-imprisoned, recommitted, and resubmitted to the manifold incommodities of this life. I've been so longing to use the word incommodities. Uh, <laughs> and then, then Alexander White, after quoting that, then goes on on his own. He says, And thus it was that scarcely had Lazarus sat down in his father's house. He had not got his harp of gold well into his hand. He had not got that, the hallelujah that they were preparing against the ascension of the Lord well into his mouth when the angel Gabriel came up to where he sat, all raptured through and through and said to him, Hail, Lazarus, highly honored among the glorified among men. Thy master calls upon up for thee. He has some service for thee still to do for him on earth. So <laughs> Lazarus has just picked up his harp. I don't know if we'll be playing. Just picked up his harp, ready to strum, if you will. And, and, Mike, and he says, who is it that comes? Gabriel comes. Hand on the shoulder. I'm sorry, Lazarus. You got to go back. Did he complain? No, because he's, at this point there's no sin. And, and you could add in there, and Lazarus wept. <laughs> One early writer said when he came back, it said that he never smiled again. I picture him at the dinner table constantly cutting looks at his sisters. <laughs> Thank you. But poor Lazarus, he'd made it his life to serve and honor the Lord. And so, when the Lord called for him, he came and served and honored the Lord. Now, John will tell us more. This had an effect and not all welcoming. But here we see the glorious power of a glorious Lord. As we close, just some thoughts in here. This is a record from the first century. This is a historical fact. John's gospel would have been torn in shreds and mocked and denied if there were witnesses who could have come forward to say it didn't happen. 
It's a historical event. Jesus raised the dead. How could he do that? Well, in chapter 14, he'll say, I am life. He, well, he, he, he told Mary or Martha, I'm the life and the resurrection. We see he is God in the flesh with the power of physical life and eternal life. What did he say to Martha? Those who believe in me, though he die, yet he lives. Those who believe in me will, will never die spiritually. If you have yet to hear and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then I, I just invite you, please, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he, he calls you to trust in him, to flee to him as the Savior. For those of us who know the Lord as Savior, God has already spoken life into our hearts. He's brought us from death into life. From darkness into light. May we have the heart of a Martha and Mary to serve him. And then just, I cannot escape. And I, I showed mercy to you. Um, those two words, Jesus wept. Spurgeon had two sermons on those two words. Um, do you see the heart of our Savior? Sometimes we see him in all of his majesty and glory and perfection and holiness and say, we have a hard time seeing his compassion. And I think this miracle here is recorded in the depth and those two little words, Jesus wept, are to remind us of the various other passages in Scripture. He sees, he cares. He, he, he records our tears. He is a God of compassion who weeps with those who weeps and rejoices with those who rejoice. In your sorrows, in your heartache, know, he sees and knows better than you can express. Lean on him and know his care. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this glorious passage that speaks of your majesty and your might. Father, we thank you for how you glorified your Son through this miracle. May we love and adore him more because we see him so clearly in this text. Father, there may be some hearing these words today whose hearts have sorrow. If they haven't shed the real tears, then the tear, in their heart there have been tears. You know. Help them to see you care. Father, for those who have yet to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, oh, how I pray you'd open their eyes to see. And for those of us who know our Savior, Lord, fill us with wonder and his majesty, his power, his glory, his compassion, his love for us, his children. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.